has three wins and a loss and still managed to finish in first place in Pool B. And you have been listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Week on 3 with me, Janice Wong, where we look at some of the most interesting interviews over the past week here on Radio 3. In the next half hour, we'll look at what the solid waste disposal scheme means for you and your family. We'll also find out why some elderly people are fuming over the government spending voucher scheme. Also on the program, we'll hear from an incredible Israeli pianist, who is about to hit Hong Kong with a novel kind of recital. But first, to a topic that many parents will probably be interested in, the impact of excessive gaming on kids. Hugh Chiverton and Anna Fenton discussed the issue with a few experts on Wednesday's Backchat program, after the mainland set a new limit on the amount of time that kids can spend on online games, to just three hours a week. Hugh began by asking Dr. Fanny Lam, a specialist in developmental behavioral pediatrics, what's wrong with gaming. Too much time spent on the screen actually created a lot of physical and mental difficulties for the young kids, especially their brains are still developing. Most important, you know, due to the long period of inactivity, sleep deprivation, and these kids are prone to have overweight and obesity, the risk is five times that of the typical kids. And also they develop some musculoskeletal like neck pain. I saw some of my clients, they develop a lot of um, ticks, like eye blinking ticks and neck shaking, head shaking or you know shrugging because of this discomfort and they want to have the release of the muscles. So this is mainly the physical part. In terms of the mental, because the kids are not yet well developed, so playing computer games for a long time actually affect their attention inhibition, namely the executive function development, which is the core you know, um, attribute for the success in school. If they spend too much time gaming, then eventually it affects their learning and also their self-esteem. And if they develop addiction, then they will also, you know, go into anxiety, depression, not to mention, you know, they are exposed to a lot of um, internet um, advertisement or, you know, the privacy safety issues. Sorry, did you mention that attention? Yes. And inhibition? Mm-hmm. How would they be affected by, by gaming? Well, this is um, the attention, inhibition, working memory, all these are modulated by the frontal lobe. So by exposing yourself to a repetitive high-frequency game, actually these kids may develop, you know, um, the impairment in the executive function because of the long-term um, stress situation and also they do not have time to relax their frontal lobe and they do not um, engage in more leisure reading, um, you know, social interaction with their age peers. So they're kind of overstimulated, you mean, the sort of too much stress, yes. con- constant stress? Yes. Well, more specifically, Dr. Lam, I think it would be fair to say they're getting a little dopamine ping constantly, aren't they, which is keeping them in a, a constantly aroused state too. Yes, and this overdose, you know, and continuous dose of dopamine may also result in addiction. 
Okay. Uh, the, the the million dollar question is how much time should you, children be allowed to spend? And uh, we, you know we mentioned this uh, the rule they're introducing a law basically in in, yes. uh, in the mainland uh, on this, which would limit it to what three hours a week. How much is too much? Um, from uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they have very um, clear guidelines after uh, collecting a lot of evidence on young kids' brain development and also the um, effect of the media use. For younger ones, like um, two to five-year-old, the guideline is one hour per day, must be supervised by adults. Um, for older kids, the guideline is around two hours per day, mostly, again, you know, should be supervised by adults. It includes all the media time, the screen time, you know, not just the um, gaming time. And for older kids, you know, actually there is no one size fits all because um, the older kids, like uh, high school students, they may have a, lot, a busy schedule. So the gist is the kid must have enough sleep, like um, up to eight to 10 hours per day for the adolescents. And they must have one hour of aerobic exercise per day and they have time to interact with their peers and they um, engage in some reading, writing, and they also um, have meals with the family. So at the end, after you do the calculation, they don't have a lot of time. They don't um, have any time in Hong Kong. If you've, got, <laughs> if you've got homework every day and you're supposed to do an hour of exercise and, and you're supposed to have family time. And not uh, to mention the tutorials. Not to mention tutorials. <laughs> That's more than 24 hours a day. Possibly, exactly. <laughs> also with us, as I say, is Dr. Kretlin Zaidi, a clinical psychologist based in Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Morning. Hi, many thanks for, for joining us today. I think, I think I mean, w w one issue is, isn't it, that it's um, so much of uh, our life is just devoted to uh, screens now. Uh, whether we like it or not, whether we're gaming or whether we're Looking, whether we're socialising or looking at the news or doing our homework, uh, screen time is just kind of integrated and has become a, a greater and greater part of everyone's lives, haven't they? Um, you know, so you know, how do we talk to children about that when we're doing it ourselves? It's been very challenging, I think, over the past 18 months uh, for everybody due to the pandemic. Um, and you're absolutely right in, you know, that, we, that we've had to uh, work from home. We are more engaged with screens. So how do we teach our children that, you know, that, that there should be time limits on this? Um, and uh, I think everybody is uh, facing this difficulty, uh, uh, definitely. But it's, I think it is about being able to create a balance and, and making sure that... Uh, there is um, uh, other activities, physical activities, and you know, uh, deliberate interaction with others when when we can, so that we are um, uh, creating a sense, uh, an environment where our children are able to know how to socially interact and how to be with other people, because that's been a challenge for a lot of, especially the younger kids and the older ones who've been glued to their screens for more than 12 hours a day as well. And Dr. Zadi, do you see that Hong Kong parents are willing to be firm enough to have the required techno boundaries with their children? Look, I've been speaking about this and raising awareness of this since 2011, really, in schools and just, you know, how do we integrate uh, and limit the screen use? Because they're here to stay. You know, this technology is here to stay. As parents, we've, we have had to struggle with learning how to um, live with this because we didn't grow up 
uh, using their technology as part of our life. But I'm, it, it's, it's difficult uh, for the parents to do this on their own. Um, the, because the children's learning is online. Everything has been more and more and more incorporation of the technology. So how do we limit the game use and get our children outside uh, to play? And, I, and you know, it's been challenging for them. So some form of uh, regulation um, guidelines would be good from the government. That's clinical psychologist Dr. Kuratalin Zaidi and Dr. Fanny Lam from the Hong Kong Developmental Pediatric Centre speaking on Backchat. Now imagine this. The work of two composers who lived 200 years apart merged together in one performance. It might sound a bit crazy to some people, but that is exactly what Israeli pianist and conductor David Graysama has done. And he will be performing his solo recital program, Scarlatti Cage, here in Hong Kong tomorrow and on Wednesday. Using two pianos, he will intersperse the work of the Baroque master, Domenico Scarlatti, and the avant-garde American composer, John Cage. David Graysama told Phil Whelan on Wednesday's Morning Brew program how he came up with this idea. So, you know, I've been playing a lot of music by Scarlatti. He's one of my favorite Baroque composers. And when I was young, I was playing a lot of his music, you know, all of pianists. We, we, we performed this music a lot. And then later on, I started performing music by John Cage, who is you know, from the 20th century, this kind of crazy, strange, unusual figure in New York. Yeah. And, you know, for a long time, I was just playing them separately, didn't ring any bell to me. And I just thought, oh, I love these two composers. And just one day, I woke up in the morning, it's very clear in my mind, that day, woke up and I thought, wow, actually, why am I not playing them together because they have so much in common and of course at the beginning everybody thought i was crazy because as you mentioned <laughs> they lived more than 200 years apart they have you know apparently nothing to do with one another but i was convinced that actually these two men were completely wild they were pioneers yeah. they looked into the future and what i loved about them and this is completely different from you know other composers is that they're just not afraid of anything and when they write music they they just don't care about what's going on around them and i thought this is the time to put this music together and let's see what happens when these two great composers meet I'm interested how you paired a lot of this stuff. I mean, everybody, lots of people know John Cage penned a thing called 4 Minutes 33 and it's just a bunch of silence. But bearing in mind what you've been saying, that now makes sense. I'm thinking, right, let's get John Cage, chuck him together with Scarlatti, and of course, it will come out as 4 days, 33 hours, because Scarlatti's output was immense, wasn't it? How did you pair when Scarlatti wrote 40-something uh, sonatas, I believe, and Cage wrote half that? So how did you choose? Well, that was a very, very complex <laughs> yeah, challenging Yeah, but they really uh, work. Process. Looking down the CD, listening to one after the other, they go together hand in glove. 
Yeah, it took a lot of time. You know, it's really a matter of time. I think it took about two or three years for me to really get to the final list of pieces that I wanted to select. Ah. Uh, it, it was it was a very long process. And, you know, for a long time, I was just, you know, trying out things and thinking, oh, this works, this doesn't work. And, you know, for a long time, I was still changing some some pieces and at, at first i was playing recitals and then you know after the recital thinking oh i think i can make this better so it was a long process and the most important aspect to me was to find these similarities and what, what kind of similarities i mean any kind so of rhythm be, or what yeah it can be many many different kinds of similarities it can be sometimes uh, melodic you know so sometimes it's very striking you have you have in john cage this strange unusual melody and suddenly you can hear it in in one scarlatti sonata or sometimes you have uh, a kind of you know atmosphere in a john cage sonata for instance you know a very rhythmical uh, almost i would say rock kind of atmosphere and surprise you find the same rock you atmosphere really in 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 scarlatti so it can be many different aspects and and you know it's not by accident that i say rock because to me scarlatti was really kind of a rock <laughs> rock star rock composer i'm going to tell our listeners in just a little while about the concert when it's coming up and how people can see you but can you just bear with me for about 50 seconds and we're going to hear a little bit of these guys stuck together because i think it's worth it a qed you can i mean it really almost sounds like it's some natural progression beautiful playing as well i mean this this is such a weird combination that's fantastic basically david thank you thank you very very much it really really is um you're in quarantine right now so obviously how's it going have you gone nuts yet <laughs> uh a bit nuts yeah bit yeah nuts. yeah but the good news is that i have just uh three days left for oh, my good. quarantine and and i have to say that I, i'm just so happy because um this is uh for those who don't know this is actually the first time that i'm going to perform this uh this recital program the scarlatti and john cage i've been to hong kong seven times yeah and this is the first time that i get this opportunity and you know the the first concert on sunday is sold out so we've added a second show on on wednesday the 8th so i'm just really really excited to be here That's Israeli pianist and conductor David Gray-Sommer speaking on our Morning Brew program. Well, 
it's been just over a month since the government first distributed the initial installment of its $5,000 spending voucher. And while most of you may have already used it up already, many elderly people still haven't got their money because their application for the cash handout failed. But they have now been given extra time to submit the relevant documents so they can receive the government handout. DAB lawmaker Holden Chow told Samantha Butler on Thursday's Hong Kong Today what happened with their applications. I think many of the elderly, they filled out the paper form application earlier on. And um, actually, they might find it difficult to file um, the, the paper form in completing in the right way. For example, <clears throat> I do notice that some of the elderly, um, when we received the cases yesterday, um, they said that actually they fill out the form by providing their home telephone number as the contact number. And in that case, they are not able to receive any kind of SMS notification, right? So they, naturally, they would just miss out the deadline to file any documentation and end up not being given the consumption voucher. And many of the elderly, the problem is they don't have the clue on how to use uh, the mobile phone SMS system. And they miss out uh, the SMS and end up not being given the consumption voucher. Um, so that's what happened. And um, we met the uh, government officials yesterday, and the government responded by uh, extending the deadline for filing uh, those sort of documentation for two weeks. So I think uh, the deadline is now extended to 15th of September. So for the people, especially for the elderly, uh, if they miss out the SMS earlier on, because of that, they miss out the, the deadline to file the documentation. They need not worry. They can resubmit the documentation. There's two weeks extension for them. So um, I, I think my opinion is that the government should really look after the, the need of these elderly and especially don't underestimate uh, the difficulty arising out of the uh, uh, technology because the elderly, they just don't have the clue on how to make use of the mobile phone SMS system. Uh, we also heard earlier from some people who went to the government office in Mong Kok to try and find out what happened with their money, yeah. and it sounded yeah. very chaotic there and quite stressful for them. How could that have been handled better over there? Yeah, well, I think that's a problem because uh, people have a long, there is a long queue, as you saw it on TV. And, um, and, and even the people there are not very helpful because earlier on what we find out is um, they just want to take a very strict approach to deal with this sort of problem. And um, I think the elderly would, would believe that the government is being not considerate enough and they don't know that they have difficulties in using the mobile phone SMS system. So what we urge the government to do, they should take on board our advice. For example, they should add more manpower to make extra hotlines to deal with this sort of problems. Because even yesterday, people try to call up the government hotline, nobody pick up the phone, or even if they pick up the phone, they are not able to uh, provide solutions. As you also observe, even in the government center, People queued up and at the end of the day, 
uh, the staff are not able to provide sort of solutions. The, the government has released these as the form of electronic vouchers for e-payment. What do you think about using that as the method to distribute the money? I quite agree that uh, this is a good and modern way. And as I have observed so far, uh, people make good use of these uh, electronic vouchers. They span it uh, because of uh, the na- very nature that these sort of vouchers will make sure that you will spend it in the economy, right? So um, I think that is very much helpful in boosting the economy, especially in this a very difficult time because of the outbreak of the pandemic. So I think generally speaking, this is a good and modern way uh, to distribute the money and also it would be conducive to boosting the economy. But I think the government should really look after the very fact that the elderly don't know or don't have the clue in how to make use of the technology. That's all. what, What about those elderly who maybe don't even have a mobile phone? Yeah, that's another problem. Uh, you see, uh, under estimation, there are still 200,000 Hong Kong people who don't apply for uh, these e-vouchers. So there might be many reasons, uh, including the reasons you point out, because uh, they don't have the uh, mobile phone and stuff like that. So I think um, uh, the government should really look after that sort of loophole uh, to make sure that people are able to receive that sort of benefit. But on the other hand, on the other hand, I say by and large, uh, the majority of Hong Kong people would be able to obtain this sort of uh, uh, e-vouchers by the scheme. But what about the minority? I think, I think the government should really look after this problem. Yeah. Uh, do you, some people have been asking that this scheme should be further extended. What do you think? Uh, from the experience of the first phase, it's kind of very positive. And um, we will also... Uh, take a look at what happened on the second phase, which is going to happen in October. And I think later on, the government would decide what to do, or as you suggest, if the response is good, and especially if the economy needs uh, more sort of support from these e-vouchers, I think the government should consider having uh, the next round of um, e-vouchers to be given. That's DAB lawmaker Holden Chow speaking on Hong Kong Today. As you probably already know, after almost two decades of waiting, lawmakers finally passed a waste charging fee for households here last week. That's certainly good news for the environment, but what will it actually mean for us? Lawrence Liu from Civic Exchange walked us through the implications of the charging scheme on this week's Trash Talk. The waste charging bill is a quantitative base. That means that citizens will be paying 11 cents for every litre of waste they produce. So maybe let me offer um, you all an example. An average free member's household approximately paid around 33 to $50 per month. You may wonder that how to pay for it. Um, the EMB already decided a pay designated garbage bag and they will sell it to the public. The citizen just 
um, need to purchase the bag, like in the supermarket, rendering machine, and then to put the waste into the designated bag before they dispose it um, into the garbage bin. Oh, okay, so instead of actually paying the government, the government is kind of producing the garbage bags, and by purchasing the garbage bags, that's essentially the waste charging fee, and you have to use those garbage bags to dispose of your waste. Yes, correct. And then the government will offer like different size of the garbage bags for the public to purchase. Got it. But you also, I, I guess, there's there's subsidies for lower income families. Yeah, because uh, we also observe that um, the community also really concerned about um, the humble f- family, like the um, recipients of the CCSA or those low income families, so that the government will set up a subsidy scheme to help them to relax um, the financial burden. Um, for those uh, group of people, the government will offer 10 Hong Kong dollar per uh, people um, to make sure that um, the scheme won't affect their life. Oh, that's great. So that was really important. I'm sure that was important to the decision to even pass the bill, right? Yeah. Um, and then what else do you think? Are there any other aspects of the bill that you think are important? Yeah, I think the bill provides a really strong foundation to reduce um, waste production at the source and also can motivate behavior change among citizens. And it's become a really strong precursor to eliminating wastage and pollution. We are also optimistic about the readiness from the society to receive the bill. In the earliest this year, CVHS released a popular opinion survey, which found that two-thirds of the respondents support the pollutant pay principle. This reflects that citizens really understand they can listen the burden to the recycling system if they reduce waste at source, like waste separation or like um, reduce purchase um, those products with a lot of packages. However, the results also reflect our recycling and waste disposal infrastructure required a significant update. And the government also need to take this 18 months grace period to rebuild the trust uh, of the public for the system. That's Lawrence Liu from Civic Exchange speaking to Marcy Trentlong on Trash Talk. And finally, to close this week on three, I leave you with a bit of Steve James and his afternoon drive on Thursday. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. And we're glancing back at this day in music history, and I'm picking on the year 1972. This very day, the Erie Canal Soda Pop Festival was held over three days on Bull Island near Griffin, Indiana. The promoters back in 1972 were expecting just over 50,000 music fans. 200,000 attended the festival. Many bands pulled out as the festival drifted steadily into anarchy. Bands that did appear included Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids, Black Oak, Arkansas, Cheech and Chong, Foghat, Albert King, and many more. Oh, Canned Heat were there as well. Uh, Rory Gallagher. It was quite the lineup. 
and also the Eagles. Three concert-goers drowned in the Wabash River. As the festival ended, the remnants of the crowd burned down the music stand. The Erie Canal Soda Pop Festival. Also, this day, 1972, Rod Stewart was at number one on the UK Singles Chart with a single taken from his number one album, Never a Dull Moment, You Wear It Well. I had nothing to do on this hot afternoon But to settle down and write you a line I've been meaning to burn you but from Minnesota Hell, it's been a very long time You wear it well A little old-fashioned, but that's all Yeah. 